Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. All right, guys. Well, hey, why don't you uh, stand with us this morning? We're going to read God's word really quick. Up, down, up, down, all around. Um, The passage for today is Colossians 1, starting in verse 6. We'll go all the way to verse 10. It goes like this. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful, faithful servant and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10 says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray real quick. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Be with us, show up, and teach us something new, and uh, that we get to grow closer to who you are and become more like you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You might be seated for now, and then we'll stand up again later. (laughs) No, this this should be it for a little bit, so uh, you should be fine for a second. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Marius. Uh, we're so glad you're here. My wife, Jess, and I, we get to be part of this community, and we just want to say welcome. Um, Eric, I think, uh, come back at the third point. I think we haven't talked about it, so give it up for Eric, everybody. There you go. He'll be back later for more. Yeah, we're so glad you're here, and uh, we are in a series right now. It's our third week. Uh, I'm all confused of Pastor Bronson with his football talk. I don't know what week zero and two and one means, but this is our third Sunday that we're in a series, okay? So whatever that means for you guys in football terms. Uh, but this is week three, and we're so glad you're here. And uh, we're in a series on Colossians, and we titled the series, An Orthodox Vision for Christian Living. And the reason we chose that title is because the book of Colossians is about Paul promoting orthodoxy over and against the heresy that had infiltrated the Colossian church. And we talked about it yet last time, and every time we talk about orthodoxy, is the beliefs of the church that are aligned with scripture, tradition, and the apostolic teaching uh, over the years that the church um, has held on to. And heresy, on the other hand, this is the, the infiltrating thoughts that have come against the teaching of orthodoxy, is uh, the teaching that claims to be Christian, but is actually deviated from scripture. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul is writing to the Colossians there to encourage them and to remind them of the gospel, the gospel identity, and the gospel living. He's casting a vision of orthodox Christian living over and against the heretical teachings to infiltrate the church. Paul wants the church in Colossae to flourish. He wants them to do well. He wants them to mature as Christians. And he's writing this, this letter. It's all about them realizing to hold on to the, uh, uh, the Orthodox beliefs and not to get swayed away by the other offers that are presented to them. Last Sunday, Bronson taught, reminded us that Paul praised them for their Orthodox beliefs and their faith, hope, and love. And they rooted in their transforming power of the gospel. And in the passage of this morning, we're going to see how Paul, in an effort to expound on uh, the vision for Orthodox Christian living, and he wants, he's going to emphasize three points we're going to look at together. The first is the power of the gospel. 
The second is the people of the gospel. And the last is the prayer of the gospel. Uh, for this morning's thesis, and again, this is something we give you guys every week. This is more to give you guys a, a kind of a, a working thought to kind of frame the whole talk about, is we're looking at Christian orthodoxy leads to the flourishing of individual lives and our community, while Christian heresy, while it may seem appealing, always leads to the decaying of our lives and community. That's going to be what we're unpacking this morning. And the sermon title, if you want to put it down, is The Gospel at Work. The gospel at work. So the whole letter of, of the Colossians is written because Paul was, he, Paul got a lot of news from people. He, he was in Rome at the time, or probably all around, traveling around. He kept hearing about this little town of Colossae and that there was something happening. So he kept getting news. And when I first moved to the south, I got two important pieces of news from people. Everywhere I go, they be like, hey, you, this, the first one was you have to go to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is the best place. You got to go. And, you know, when the first time I walked into Chick-fil-A, you know how it is. You walk into uh, heaven on earth and you get your spicy chicken sandwich, the waffle fries, the Chick-fil-A sauce, and uh, now an Sunjoy. I call it Arnold Palmer, but they call it Sunjoy for some reason. Um, but, you know, it was, it was heaven on earth. It was beautiful. It was absolutely right. Everybody who kept saying Chick-fil-A is the way to go, it was top-notch. Now, the second part of news was that everybody kept telling me that, I ha that it's the best place out there is Waffle House. And let me tell you, I was never more disappointed in a place, the Waffle House, the, the heresy, goodness. I basically walked in, I had to get my own coffee, basically. I had to bust my own table. I barely got any food. And I still walked out paying a lot of money for it. That was, that's heresy right there. I don't know. But hey, I'm still bitter, but I'm working on forgiving Waffle House and go back one more time, a different location, who knows, maybe I had a bad day, uh, but we're going to try one more time. But that's kind of what the Church of Colossae was facing. There's the news about Chick-fil-A, the orthodoxy, and then there's the new teaching, the Waffle House is better than Chick-fil-A talk, that's heresy, right? Now, Paul... Paul knew the second he heard about Colossae, it was the first. It was that God was truly moving there in this church and that he, the people were longing to be like Jesus. Now, Paul, at this point, uh, when, he, when he writes this letter, he's actually in prison in Rome for the first time. So he's in like house arrest there. He's imprisoned and he's still Paul. So people keep coming to him. So people travel to Paul and to give his, get his advice. He, he gets to have visitors. He gives counsel. Church leaders from the different churches that he planted came to him to see him, to spend time with him, to be there with him, but also to learn from him and get advice from, hey, my church is going through this. What can we do? Hey, we're going through this process over here, this church. How can you help us with that? And Epaphras, this is the guy we, we believe that started the church in, in Colossae, he also came to visit Paul. And uh, he, he also got arrested in, in Rome with Paul because it, we actually see him mentioned in Philemon 1.23 that it says that he's a fellow prisoner of Paul, Epaphras at this point. So Epaphras spent quite some time with Paul in Rome downloading basically what is going on in Colossae to Paul. And then Paul later on writes this personal letter to the Colossians and to Epaphras to encourage the church after what he heard to let them know what's going on and how to, uh, to fight those battles that they're facing. And he encouraged them that they're on the right track and to stay on the right course, that Jesus alone is what they needed. So we're going to look at this together in this text. So let's, let's start looking in here. Um, 
We covered Colossians already. The first two verses, it's just a greetings. We covered that week zero, I think is what it's called. Uh, we covered that. And then after that, Paul goes into a prayer filled with, with thankfulness. We heard the first part last week. And um, last week, we talked about the faith, hope, and love that, they, that Paul was thankful for for them, that they have those things. And if you really look at the, the letters, this is a really personal letter. You can really see that Paul is really thankful for Epaphras and the community there of believers because he, he makes it really personal, even he adds a little personal note at the end. So as you read through Colossians this week, as you have to because of homework, you know, look at that and see how, if you look at the other epistles, how personal this one is. But here's the, the second part, and the first point is going to be the power of the gospel. We're going to pick up in verse 6. If you have your Bibles with you, go to verse 6. And then we're going to read together real quick. This, is, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So let's recall real quick, before this passage, in the verses before, Paul praised the Colossians for their faith, love, and hope in the gospel, and that the good news of Jesus Christ, it was the orthodox teaching of that, that, um, that transformed their entire lives. It wasn't the other offers that they heard about. It was the teaching about Jesus that had originally started to transform their lives. And it's the same good news that has the power that cannot be stopped. Paul talks about this, the spreading. It's going to go keep going. It's like a tidal wave. You cannot stop the power of the gospel. The message has an overwhelming capacity and power to transform hearts, cities, communities, and countries. That's the power of the gospel. And one tr a key truth about the gospel, the good news of Jesus is, it's packed with power. God's power. God's power to break addictions. God's power to heal marriages. God's power to restore relationships. And it brings, the power brings into an everlasting relationship with God. But how is the, power, power, how is the gospel powerful? The gospel is so powerful because the gospel is the good news about what God has done for us. Not what we do for God. It, it's, it's, it's about his power to save us, not our power to save ourselves. In the gospel, we're told that God sent his son Jesus to live a life that uh, we could not live, to die, to, die, to die a death that our sin deserved for us, and for us to be reunited with him, forgiven, adopted, and glorified before God for all eternity. And when we believe this good news, God's power is unleashed in our hearts, and our lives are transformed, because it has the power to do that. So here's the first question I have for you guys as we look through this text together is, is the gospel changing our lives? And on a personal level, is it changing your life? Because it, it has the power to do so, and the question is, are you letting it change you? But then not, again, not just us, but is it changing our community? Is it changing our lives together? Is it the people that are in our community? Is it changing their life just because we're Christians and we have the power of the gospel? The gospel is meant to change us. Not through our works or trying really hard, but through God's power. Are people seeing the power of God in and through your lives? To my life. I think people could really see the power of God working through the lives of the people living in Colossae. I think they could tell. Colossae, it used to be a big deal. It was kind of the it place for a long time for trading. They had good industry there. They were flourishing. And then slowly, Ephesus, we all, you know, the church of, uh, of Ephesus, is about 100 miles away from uh, Colossae. 
And then slowly, Ephesus was on the water, so they became more popular because they had trading with, the, with ships and was a better trading post. So slowly but surely, Colossae kind of slumped down in importance. It became less and less important. It became less significant, and it lost its whole status. So by the time we see this letter arriving to Colossae, it's actually about four or 500 years ago from its prime. And it made me think a little bit of Little Rock, in a way. You know, we're not New York City. We don't have, you know, the L.A. vibes or the good weather or all this stuff. There's a lot of things. <laughs> I'm not from around here. Can you tell? <laughs> I'm not trying to bash anybody. It's a good point, believe me, right? But just like Colossae, they weren't it. It wasn't the place to be. But somehow God moved strongly in Colossae that people all over the Roman Empire heard about it. People in Rome heard about this little town called Colossae. And I wonder for us at Little Rock, we can change the world from Little Rock. From a small town, maybe like, oh, what's Little Rock? This used to be good. Like, who cares about Little Rock? No, it, God could move here through us as a church and spread like a wildfire and change a city, change a state, change a country, but also change the world through God's power. And I wonder in the same, in the same breath, maybe some of us feel like that that insignificance. Maybe it's, you know, we've been born here and we haven't done anything great with our lives, or it's maybe you're older and you've kind of wondered, my, past, my best days are in the past. I don't know what it is, but I want to encourage you to just like God could use the insignificant town of Colossae to change the world, God can use you to change the world as well. It's not too late. It's not too early. It's not, you're not in the past or it's too late now. It's not. God can still use you and move through you. Because again, when the gospel is understood, lives are changed. And every time when the gospel is understood at a wide scale, the city is changed. We call it revival. So how do we change? The last part of the verses we just read for this first point, uh, if you go back to, back to the verses, it says, Paul says it this way, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Heard and understood. So it's not just about when the first time you hear it, but when you fully understand that it means that I have to change. That the gospel is not about you get a free ticket uh, out of hell, but it's about an invitation to a journey to change your life and become more and more like Jesus. And I was trying to find a, an illustration for this of how to like, you know, break it down. Like, oh, this is you know, just like that. But I couldn't really find anything. But on Wednesday, I was here at Leadership and Faith and I want to recognize Fitz and thank him for what he does, because, and Fitz doesn't want this, it's not about Fitz either, but Fitz understood the gospel, he heard understood it, and he changed his life, he changed his priorities and what he does. And on Wednesday, on this stage, we had Fitz and two old gang members that were used to uh, uh, kill people, they used to bring violence, destruction, and uh, they used to tear things down, and they're on the stage now helping to restore the community, to bring hope, to bring peace and joy. And it's because of Jesus changing Fitz's life. And then Fitz is realizing, it's not about me. I'm going to change the next person. And he was there for Turtle when he was about to retaliate a shooting on his family and stop the violence there. And through Fitz's lives changed, the community was changed. And now we're seeing these people that used to do bad things and, and things that are not helping. Now they're restoring the communities and bringing back the hope of Jesus into communities. 
And again, I don't want to give it up for Fitz. You know, we thank you, Fitz, for what you're doing. But let's give it up for the changing power of the gospel in us that is doing it in Fitz, but also can do it in you and in us this morning. Because when the gospel changes us, it changes our communities for the better. Last week, we talked about how we cannot earn salvation, but it's given to us by a grace. But this grace that we just talked about that I read, we have, when we understand it, it also confronts us with the truth. It doesn't come just with the grace, it comes with grace and truth. And if we understand, fully understand the grace and the truth, it moves us to change. It moves us to change. That was point one. Point two, the people of the gospel. We're going to be in verse seven, picking up at verse seven. You learn about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful servant and he's helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Uh, my wife, Jess, and I, we used to live in New York City uh, for a little bit. And uh, one of the funnest things to do was riding the subway for me. Maybe it was fun. Maybe it was just the cheapest option we had. Uh, it could be either way. I don't know. Uh, but when you live in, in New York City and you, you jump in the subway, it's awesome because the one, the only places that we do what all of us love to do without getting in trouble, which is people watching. You get to sit down and really look at everybody what's in there and kind of judge them, see what they're doing. And it's not, it's not even cringy. It's just like what everybody does. <laughs> so you look around, you kind of, uh, you know, over time, you kind of sit down and you look around, and you kind of assess everybody. You see, okay, this guy, like uh, I told Joe, I was going to point him out, like this guy's wearing a Mets jersey. Okay, so he likes the Mets. He's not a Yankee fan. It's the wrong side, but okay, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, you see the Mets, or, oh, this person's a Knicks person, or they, they love the Nets, or they, what football team they like, what basketball team. You can tell by their outward appearance of what they like. You know, we love to wear our things on our sleeves or what we, what we like to represent. Um, but even more deeper, the deeper level of that is, uh, Jess and I would start figuring out what borough are they from, right? Just by the way they dress. So it's not, as, it's not as obvious because it's like, it's not like, oh, I'm from the Bronx or I'm from Brooklyn. But as you look at them, you can kind of tell, yeah, this person is probably not from, like, uh, the Bronx. It's probably from, I don't know, Staten Island or something like that, right? <laughs> and you can kind of piece it together. Um, but the question that I have for us today is, what are the marks of a person that's gripped by the gospel of God's grace. How can we tell that? And you know, we're not gonna find that on a t-shirt or the WWJD bracelets anymore, but how do we really tell? It's A, over time, but it's a lot of things. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But the one characteristic I wanna focus on today is faithfulness, because Paul is calling um, Epaphras a faithful servant. And the question for us today, the faithfulness can be defined as a wholehearted devotion to serving Christ, no matter the cost of our, to ourselves, people could tell really fast that Epaphras was a faithful servant of Christ. And the question for us is, are we faithfully serving Christ? Write it down in your notes as a challenge. Uh, look at your life. Uh, am I faithfully serving Christ and what he's asking you to do? And I love the picture here of Paul publicly acknowledging Epaphras and highlighting what kind of guy he is. Epaphras is kind of being strengthened as the leader of the church. Paul kind of gave him the the blue check, he verified him, right? Like Paul basically sent a letter back saying, hey, this guy is the real deal. He's verified by me. Whatever he's teaching is Jesus, and you hold on to that, and don't get, a, get astray with the other people what they're teaching. But the one part that stands out to me that I want us to look at is the matter of who Epaphras is doing it for. Not for his glory or even for Paul's glory, because he was a big name and big status, like, oh, if I, if I get Paul to like me, I'm good. 
It wasn't about him or Paul. He is Christ's servant. The ESV version translates this last, uh, this verse we just looked at as he is a faithful servant of Christ, of Christ, possession, or Christ's faithful servant. Um, I have a quote for you guys. Uh, we couldn't make it Sunday without a quote, so we're going to look at this one. And uh, when, I, when I first, uh, I love the quote, and I looked at the name, it's David, it's David Brainerd is his name. <laughs> I was like, what is, this? but it's a real, it's a real person. I looked it up and it's actually very interesting because uh, David Brainerd, he, he died when he was 29 years old and he lived to minister to the Native Americans and bring the gospel to the Native American. And this is from a letter he wrote to his brother. So this is an actual quote that he wrote to his brother. And this is what he says. We should always look upon ourselves as God's servants placed in God's world to do his work. And accordingly, labor faithfully for him, not with a design to grow rich and great, but to glorify God and do all the good we possibly can. Leave that there for a second. I want, us to, I want you to read it one more time by, by yourself without me for a second. Read it, read it one more time. Because I really want us to take it in. I, I love this quote on, on many levels. And um, the biggest thing for me with a lot about this is where God placed us, are we doing his work, right? Because I think a lot of times we might want to be placed somewhere else. We might want to, well, you know, once I make it to the, I don't know, C-suite, then I'll start becoming a Christian in my work. Or, hey, once I finally move to the big city, then I'm going to do great things for God. But I think what we have to understand is that God has placed us here for a reason. We're not just placeholders or temporary posts of, I don't know, taking over like a the chair. Like we have chairs that you can sit in so you can learn and then go out and become a person that does the God's work wherever you're placed. And it's, it's our motive to glorify God with our life or do we build our own kingdom? That's the other challenge that I got from this, this uh, quote right here. Are we glorifying God with our life or do we build our own kingdom? Let's move on to point three, the prayer of the gospel. Verse nine so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge, complete knowledge of his will, and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. I'm excited for the last point. We're going to be here for a second, then we're going to wrap it up really fast. So we're almost finished. But I'm excited for this one. Paul prayed to the Colossian church because he realized that there was a threat coming in. Right? We talked about this with Pastor Bronson. A threat to the explosive gospel power that was creeping in. The threat was false teaching. A teaching that highlighted special knowledge and esoteric understanding only offered to the few. It was a pitch of, well, if you follow us and do this and this, then you'll know. Then you have full knowledge, actually. Um, it promised spiritual maturity, but it actually resulted in spiritual immaturity. But Paul is praying that they see that they have been given complete knowledge in Christ. They already had the complete knowledge. And it wasn't by doing something else or buying into this theory or this, but it was through Christ alone. And this knowledge is not available to just the elite or just the few special ones, but it's available to every man and woman in Christ. We, have, we can have full, complete knowledge of his will. An important part in this verse is it's not just knowledge, but it's knowledge of his will. 
Because that's how it works together. Um, sometimes we think God's will is this big, big kind of uh, grand idea, and how we never know, know how to kind of discover it. But he makes it very simple, Paul. God's will is God's heart and desire for how we live our lives every day in our homes, in our neighborhood, at work, at church. It's his will for his followers. Paul is, saying, Paul is praying that they would grasp that and know his will deeply. Because if you draw near and close to the one you love, you know what they like and don't like. We talk about this all the time with, with your spouse. You want to know what they like and don't like so you can serve them that way. It's why we have the love languages. It's you want to know the will of the person you're loving so you can do that thing that they actually love and not do what you like. And just like you, Paul is then saying, knowing the garden of our lives, this is God, will ultimately produce richer and greater fruit. It's about knowing who he is and what he desires and seeking to please him with our lives. It says in the verses, please and honor him. If we want to please and honor him, we have to know who he is and what his will is and what his heart is so then we can do those things that will please him and bring honor to God. Not because we're forced to, but because we are his sons and daughters. Not out of performance, but out of assurance. Assurance of his love for us first. It's not about the works and labors and fruits first. That all comes later. It's about the relationship with God first, and then your life will produce fruit. It's not about, can I perform first and do good things, good deeds, and then I'll come, come home to God. God's saying, come to me first. The rest will add on to it later as you get to know me more and you become more and more like me. So in preparation for this, I looked into fruits, all kinds of fruits. And, you know, how can we talk about fruits and how does that all work? And I'm not going to bore you with my lawn care uh, recipe or my, my, my greenery stuff, which I'm pretty bad at. Uh, but what I did find, uh, have you ever done that? You like look up something random and like 30 minutes later you're in something completely different. You're like, how do we end up here? It is bad. Well, when I, when I did my research, I stumbled over the, the uh, baobab tree species, okay? Baobab tree species. And uh, it just really, in several ways, painted a beautiful picture for me of what this letter is all about to me. You can see it right here. It's, a, it's an African tree species that grows really tall, really big. It looks kind of, kind of funny. We'll come to that in a second. But, you know, back in, the, in their culture, they, the oldest one's been like, one died here, I think, five years ago that finally rotted out or something that lived for 2,500 years. They last a long time, those trees. They're known as the tree of life in their communities and, in, and people reference them. They have water-storing trunk that may reach a diameter of 30 feet and a height of 60 feet. Naturally hollow, it often serves as a water reserves or temporary shelter for young animals or even people in distress. So then mostly in like tropical desert times when there's a crazy rain or the heat, it can offer shelter for the people that need it. It can take, and it also can take up to 100 years to produce its first fruit. That one was interesting to me as well. It wasn't just, it was you put the seed in the floor and whoop, there it is. It takes some time, right? It takes some time. But when this, when this fruit does produce, it's considered a super fruit. You know, that's just extra healthy and like super good for you. It gives you a lot of vitamins and stuff. So when it does produce a fruit, it's a really good fruit, not just something, something small and, and, and short. 
And I think our lives should look more like a baobab tree and not like an Easter lily. We like the Easter lilies, right? They come up really fast, but then guess what? After two weeks, they're gone. They bloom really pretty and really fast, but then nothing lasts, nothing sticks, nothing stays. And I love the picture through the whole Bible that I can see that God has for us to be strong trees in our communities that store the living waters of God to give, those, to give to those who need it, to give shelter to young Christians and the people who are in distress, that when the tropical heat and storms are coming and going, that we should stand firm, and even through empires and cultures that sway us left and right, that at the end we stand firm and we outlast it because we live close to God's will. So be encouraged. It's not about producing fruits fast, and looking good on the outside, but it's about growing closer to God, and He will grow you tall and stable and deep like a baobab tree that will be a beacon of hope for the people around you. And one thing, this is my favorite little nugget right here, is that the African legend has it that uh, when the devil saw God creating the earth in Africa, he got so mad that he took the trees out of the, out of the ground, turned them around, and threw them back in. Because it looks kind of like the roots are on top. Right? If you look at them, it looks like the roots are on top. We're like, where is the actual like, top of the tree? And I love that picture because what the devil had meant for evil, God used for good. Right? You might look funny. You might stand out and looks like, what are you doing? But God has turned you around for a reason so you can give shelter, so you can be a, a beacon of hope to somebody. When somebody says, why are they acting so funny? Or why are they standing out? Why do they do this way? When they come ask you, you can tell them, it's because of Jesus. It's because God has used me for a reason. The devil might throw you around. He plugs you from where you're at. He shakes you up and throws you back on the ground. But God will use what the devil meant for harm for good. So how do we become this, right? This looks like it's going to be a hard work. It is. But the last piece of the text for today, I want to I go on this one. It says... All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Better and better. It's a progress. It's not going to happen today. Maybe you've been here for three months or a, month, a year now. You're like, man, I've been here. I've been faithful. I've been, you know, reading my Bible. Like, where's the fruit? It might take a second, right? But when it's there, it's going to be a beacon of hope. It's not going to get swayed by false teaching or now the culture offers this, it's going to stand firm right where it's at. The ESV said it increase in knowledge of God. That's our goal, guys. Every day we come in here, every morning you wake up, the goal should be to increase in knowledge about God because if we know God's heart, we know his will for our life, then we can act upon the will of God and then the fruit will come in our lives. Maturing in Christ is a journey, not a one-and-done exchange. So I want to encourage you guys this morning to keep getting closer and closer to God. But I want to leave you with the two questions we always ask you guys. And then the worship team can come up uh, during this time um, before I have to do it. <laughs> Sorry. Y'all, but seriously, I want you to, to examine yourselves and ask yourself, God... What are you saying to me? What did, what did he say to the church of Colossae? And how does it relate to you and your personal life? Because I don't want to just read of history, but this is about your life and how this is impacting you. So God, what are you saying to me? 
And the second thing you have to ask yourself afterwards is what do you want me to do about it? What do you want to do about it? So let me pray over us and then we'll have response time. And then once uh, uh, Zach leads us in standing up and worshiping, we can get up together and, and worship and finish out the service together. But let me pray for you guys um, and we'll go on. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to know you better and better. That you've made a way for us to come back home to you to learn about your heart, learn about your will, and then to be representatives on this earth to represent you well. That we would shine your character to the people around us, that they would look at us and see you. Right now we ask that you show us, reveal to us of what our next steps are. What are you teaching us this morning? And help us to give us the courage to do the next step, to not just sit on this, but to act on it as well. We're so thankful for you. We ask that you bless this response time and this worship time together, that we get fueled up for the week and that you be with us every day. And as we go closer and closer in relationship with you, that you help us to become closer and closer to us. In Jesus' name. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.